Welcome to LawPod episode 21. I am Lee Hedgepantelis, the principal of Bryden's Lawyers. And today I am honored to have a very special guest with us. His name is Peter Fraser, and he is the founder of the Sarah Group. Now Sarah is an acronym for Safer Australian Roads and Highways. So there is a great interest on the part of Bryden's Lawyers in this organization. And I welcome today Peter to Bryden's Lawyers. Welcome. Thanks very much, it's great to be here. Peter, tell us who is Peter Fraser pre-February 2012. My background was in law enforcement, intelligence, compliance work, and also social justice and human rights. Many, many years ago, when the dinosaurs were still walking around the earth, I was Assistant National Secretary to a thing called the Australian Catholic Commission Justice and Peace. And the social justice and human rights component has been absolutely foundational in terms of the work that I've done, especially later on. I then, as I said, I worked with consumer affairs and consumer law, policy work mostly, as well as the law enforcement intelligence side of those things as well and used to run all the sections of the organisation dealing with that. My last formal position was with Roads Maritime Services. I was one of their managers, again looking after back end of the drive system as well as the compliance and intelligence functions as well. Well tell us a little bit about your family. So pre-February of 2012, married man? Yeah, I'm married, five kids, three daughters, then two sons, and they range these days from 26 through to 34. Oh well done and I hope they're in, in good health. Now Peter, in February 2012, something happened to change your life forever. And I must admit, as a parent myself, I have some reluctance to bring this up because I don't know how you're going to respond or how you deal with it, but I'm sure you've dealt with it extensively over the years. And we spoke earlier and you told me that you're still dealing with it in a fashion. We'll, we'll move on to that shortly. But just tell us what happened on the 15th of February 2012. That day, I said goodbye to my middle daughter, Sarah. She was going to start university at Charles Sturt. She'd actually travelled as a backpacker. Her passion was was photography, and for a number of years, she'd travelled from country to country, building up her portfolio. Before she left school, we'd actually driven down to Charles Sturt University in Wagga so she could show the head teacher. It was only acceptance on the work that you'd done, not just your marks. And Sarah continued to build that portfolio, but would keep deferring. And I, I've got to say, many travels down to that university, meeting that teacher. The reason I'll speak about that a moment later. On the 15th of February I said goodbye to her and she was starting a journey down Australia's most important road, the Hume Highway, Hume Freeway indeed. I was at work, I had turned off my, my work phone to make certain my personal phone was on just in case she had any issues on her drive. At about 11 o'clock that day her vehicle broke down, something that happens literally thousands of times across Australia. She pulled over into the emergency lane, which hadn't been built to specification and should have been a minimum of 2.4 metres wide, but was only 1.5 metres. She pulled over into that emergency lane and on the other side of that was brambles and the guardrail, which ran for 1,600 metres, and she was trapped. She couldn't get to the other side of the guardrail and she actually moved to the front of the car, put the hazard lights and moved to the front of the car and rang the NRMA, who came out and about an hour later, it took a while, and they called a tow truck because of the fact that her radiator had gone. Mm. Again, simple stuff. Anyway, when the tow truck driver arrived, 63 seconds later, and we know that because of the in-vehicle camera, he must have told Sarah to go and get her stuff. As you can imagine, her car was full to the gunnels because she was now moving down to start university. And 63 seconds later, a young gentleman, a young truck driver, driving an eight-ton Pantag, drove directly into them. He was distracted and he's never admitted as, as to what that distraction was. But at 0.2 of a second, at seven metres from 
colliding with them. He raked the wheel so hard he actually put it, his vehicle on 45 degrees and then it bounced back. But in that process, he hit both the tow truck driver and Sarah, killing her, throwing her 40 metres and leaving her in pieces on that road. That shouldn't have happened. There was this distraction that he that he had. Well, that afternoon we were contacted by New South Wales Police, or my family was. I arrived home around 5pm. We'd had calls from my now youngest daughter, Rebecca, saying, I can't get through to Sarah, and she was terrified. She said, I think something has happened. I kept saying, no, look, she's fine. The NRMA are going to pick her up, and indeed uh, drive that vehicle we'd had premium care on. I walked downstairs. There was a noticing a police car out the front. My first thought was I better tell my son to turn his ute round to the right way. It had been parked the wrong way and I wander downstairs and I see two police officers bawling their eyes out and my family. I fell to the, to the ground, pretty much catatonic, just, just broken down. Mm. And from th that point, it's the thing that's now affected my life to the point where it's changed our, all our lives. Peter, I know it was eight years ago, but on behalf of myself personally and on behalf of Bryden's lawyers, I'd just like to extend my sincerest sympathies and condolences. As a parent, I can't even contemplate the impact of losing a child under any circumstances. All right, well, look, thank you very much for sharing that. And I think it's an important context as well for what we're gonna discuss, mm. because a lot of people may have responded to that in different ways, but you responded to it in a very positive way for the purpose of benefiting the community at large. And that was within a fairly short period of time that you recognised a need for that. How did it come about that you applied yourself then to making sense of what was this tragedy? Well, two things happened in actual fact. The following day when we had to go down to Golden Wall to identify my beautiful daughter and we couldn't go anywhere near her, she was behind a screen and we had to be carried both in and out, my wife and I. But we had to go back to see where she was killed on that, that highway. We had, had to see why why this tragedy had occurred. And when we got there, my grief was also turned to anger because I realised that she'd been left in harm's way. We'd built our road, that most important of Australia's roads, not the specification, leaving her in harm's way. And you realise that all those people who were vulnerable had to be protected. Someone had to actually champion that, that cause. And although at that very moment, we, we were just trying to deal with our own grief, within I suppose it would have been a month later, because we were very much just dealing with our own family's grief. I sat down at the computer and I thought, we've got to start a petition to bring focus to this. And we wanted two things out of that petition. Build the roads to Austroad standards, the already agreed standards that we have in Australia. And secondly, to ensure that people slow down and, and give people the space they need to be safe when they're on the road ahead. And over the course of that next two months, in eight weeks, we got 23,000 signatures and we presented the petition to the Acting Premier Stoner on the 15th of May, so exactly three months to the day since Sarah was killed. And that started what became this campaign. And the second thing was Sarah's favourite colour was yellow and mm. I tied day of her requiem, a yellow ribbon to our vehicle's aerial. But what had happened was that our community started spontaneously doing the same thing. As we approached what became Road Safety Week, which was around the time that we lodged the petition, we realised that people need to be bound together by some symbol. And uh, your fire and rescue tender also came to Parliament House. And one of the gentlemen tied a yellow ribbon onto that vehicle. And that's when it all began. The following year, we had the Queensland Motorways offered to light the bridges across the Brisbane River. And we realised that People wanted to genuinely be involved in this and it became Yellow Ribbon National Road Safety Week.
No, it's an amazing story. So this all follows on, of course, from the establishment of the Sarah Group, of which mm. you're the president. And Sarah, of course, as we said earlier, references safer Australian roads and highways. Mm. Does that occupy you now full time? 60 to 70 hours a week. That, I think that's full time. <laughs> that's, that's plenty. That is plenty. And I think one of the crowning achievements of the Sarah Group has been, has it not, Sarah's rule. Mm. Now, do you want to explain the rule to us and how it came about? Yeah, well, indeed, that original petition, which was lodged with the government on the 15th of May, 2012, we had to fight with the New South Wales government to implement something which was a protection for our police and emergency services, but also our tow truck drivers and roadside assistants who are out there literally in harm's way 24-7. And that was not an easy win for us at all. It took us until effectively last year on, on that 26th of September, and it was implemented as a slowdown move over rule to protect those four areas, police, emergency services, towies and roadside assistance. And I've got to say we're very proud because it was called Sarah's Rule and it's there to protect people. Just as my daughter used to look after those who are vulnerable, now she continues to do so. That is just a phenomenal story and as I say, for something so good to come out of such tragedy, something of which you should be very, very proud. And of course we have the National Road Safety Week. I think that was originally scheduled for May this year, but due to the intervention of this pandemic, it's been adjourned I think until November. That's correct. Tell us about that week. What happens in that week? What light shines on road safety that week? Well, indeed, that's exactly what it does. It shines a light on road safety now across the nation. And indeed, what we have is icons being lit up in yellow for National Road Safety Week. This year, we've, in fact, for the last four years, we've had the Sydney Harbour Bridge as an international icon being lit. But this year, we'll also have the, the sales of the Sydney Opera House being lit in yellow and I've got to say it makes us extraordinarily proud seeing it started here in, in New South Wales in terms of our, our efforts but it, it goes across the nation so we'll see things on the other side in Perth Optus Stadium being lit in yellow we will see major sporting areas being lit national icons Canberra I think has around seven icons being lit for National Road Safety Week that becomes important because it's this drive so others survive. It's taking the focus off just the person who's at the wheel to say you're responsible for everything that happens on the road ahead. And while we can have incidents and crashes, which actually very rarely are they accidents, they're usually because of either a behaviour or our infrastructure not being built to standard. I've got to say with both drive so others survive is the key message. And also the other concept which is important that we've got to look after everyone on the road ahead because everyone's got a right to get home safe to their loved ones every day without exception. Just on that point, when you mentioned accidents then, a very wise man who's no longer with us once said to me that accidents don't just happen, they're caused. There is, right. there is a cause for every accident and yep. often it's our role to discern that cause. Now, of course, the National Road Safety Week started in 2013 and it's gone from strength to strength. How have you found community and government support been over that time? I think initially it was a challenge in some jurisdictions because governments don't necessarily want to bring focus to the fact that we're losing 1,200 people across this nation every year and 40,000 serious injuries. But I've got to say that has changed over the last eight years and we do have associated with our working group which we've created. Every jurisdiction is represented along with principal partners and organisations, road authorities themselves are involved as well as the governments themselves. So we're seeing, I believe, a different move now 
and I welcome that. Peter, I've only known you for a very short period of time, of course, but the work that you've done has been incredible, and I know it's for the benefit of the community at large. But I would just like to speak very briefly about some of your personal achievements and the recognition, because this is very impressive. Let me let me just read this to you. In March of 2012, of course, you established Sarah Group and Road Safety Week in May of 2013. At a personal level, in 2019, you were acknowledged as a Volunteer of the Year, awarded at the Third Sector Awards. In 2014, the University of Western Sydney's Award for Community Service and Leadership. In 2013, as part of the Australia Day Council Awards, you were named Blue Mountains Citizen of the Year. In 2012, you were a finalist in News Limited's 2012 Pride of Australia Award, Courage Category, National Ambassador for the Road Safety Education's Rider Program. High profile events at which you have spoken, including the 2015 International Roads Federation Roads Australia Conference, the World Health Organization's Second High Level Road Safety Conference, the UN Global Road Safety Week, Western Pacific at the Sydney Opera House in 2017. Very impressive resume. I mean, it's obvious that you have a passion for this, but not only a passion though, but an understanding of it that you are able to articulate and make people understand and benefit from your experience. Yeah, look, I, I think the key is, and I, I mentioned initially my, my work in, in policy, I, I see that if we can connect people, not just at their level of understanding statistics and what goes on, that's really understanding at the level of the head. But what we need to do is understand the level of the heart. If you're going to be placed into this position, and you've got the opportunity of being able to influence policy, influence community attitudes so that we can hopefully save lives and prevent serious injuries, that's a major motivator for me. I sometimes think I'm supposed to be involved in this given my background, but I've got to also say I get inspired by things. Two days after Sarah was killed, my eldest son, I should say, Ben, he said, we've got to, we've got to do something to make a change. We need to have an organisation that reflects Sarah's name. And he came up with Safer Australian Roads and Highways, this perfect acronym. And you know, from Peter Fraser being the talking head, we now will often see in the press or in general media that Sarah's doing this or Sarah's doing that for road safety and saving lives and I feel very honoured to be able to speak on her behalf. Well it's a credit to you and to your family but as I say being motivated is one thing but being able to actually put it into place and articulate it is another. Peter, you were also involved in the Traffic Offenders Intervention Program, something that we see quite a bit here at yeah. Brighton's Lawyers, of course, through the yeah. local courts and the like. Tell us about your involvement in this program and why you think it is important. I think it, again, gives people a way of authentically interacting with those, firstly, to understand the issues of road safety, but also then to get the opportunity to authentically interact with someone who's a victim of crime. And indeed, that's what my family is. We also speak about all the people who can't talk because their, their grief continues for the rest of their lives. So being able to, to talk directly, and we say to them, you know, like, I joke that clearly I'm overweight and I, I drink beer, but I never drink drive. Have I ever done anything wrong? Yes, and I'm the first one to put my hand up. But I say that it's our responsibility to look after each other. And, and indeed, I, I think especially in these, these times when we're talking about COVID-19, where people are starting to understand that what I do can affect someone else. And that's the sort of messaging that we've been saying for the last, I suppose, seven years that I've been involved with the program. But it's key because I've, I've had people come up to me after various sessions crying saying, but for the grace of God, I could have killed someone, or I've injured someone, or one of my family has been injured. It's making it real. And that's what we need to do with road safety is to make it real. I'm very taken by your suggestion that you speak for those who can't speak. 
whether that be the victims of road accidents or those who are so traumatised they were unable to put their own case forward. Because in 32 years of practice as a solicitor, my motivating edict has always been that we speak for those who do not have a voice, the victims of accidents or circumstances beyond their control. And as an advocate, and as you are an advocate, we speak for those people. And I think that provides a sense of personal reward that's hard to explain, helping those that cannot help themselves. As I say, it's been the motivating factor for my practicing now for over 30 years as a lawyer. I haven't checked the statistics recently, but I have no doubt that this podcast will be heard by millions upon millions of people. Tell me, how can our listeners become involved? Look, we'd encourage people to become especially involved, especially with regards to National Road Safety Week, which will now come in, come up in November. If they go on to, we've got two websites. Safe Australian Roads and Highways has its website, saragroup.org. So if you type that in to the header there, it'll it'll come up with the work that we've been doing. But also we've got roadsafetyweek.net.au and that's where people can go and find out what's been happening across the nation, what's also coming up. Indeed, I think that's becoming a really important resource so that people can actually become involved. They can also, of course, one of the things which I I can't believe we now do is to try and fundraise. So people can buy things like ribbons and stickers where they can actually show that they are an advocate. Indeed, I, I think that's become really important because especially for those people who have either lost someone or been personally affected, it's very hard for them to be able to publicly say anything but to be able to tie a yellow ribbon onto their vehicle or put a sticker on the back of their car that says drive so others survive that's a way of being able to show publicly that I'm an advocate if you see two stickers on a car two yellow ribbon stickers that means so they've lost someone close to them and just give them the opportunity of being able to say this is a club I don't want to be a part of but let's try and minimize the number of people who will be affected Peter, I can tell you that I've been so taken by our conversation today that you can be assured that there will be continuing discussions between your organisation and Brighton's lawyers moving forwards. Now, a final point, I am told that you are also a volunteer firefighter. Now, please do not tell me, on top of everything else, you partook to assist in the recent fires in New South Wales. Oh, dear. I'm a member of the Falkenbridge Rural Fire service. Uh, I'm actually junior, I've only been there for five years. My my two sons are actually much more involved. I injured my, my shoulder last year and ripped a tendon off, so I tend to be a driver these days. And I, I've got to say that was over the December, January period to be able to take these people into the fire grounds and be there and see the reality of it. It's actually a a great honour. You know, I I think one of the things that we're lucky with in Australia is that there's this volunteer and community spirit, which means that people put their own health and safety out there for other people. I'm in awe of those people who are volunteers as well. Uh, So am I. They are the bedrock of our society. Just as you are a credit to your family, to this organisation and to our community, and I just want to thank you on behalf of Brian's Lawyers and myself. Today has been a awesome experience for me, and I use the word in its literal sense, an experience full of awe. So thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure, Lee. And all to our listeners, I I hope you enjoyed that as, as much as I did. I thank Peter again. It has been an incredible experience to hear about 
a person's personal circumstances being used for the benefit of an entire community. If you have any particular topics that you would like to hear us speak of, please do not hesitate to contact us directly by emailing us at lawpod at brydens.com.au and follow us on all our social media platforms, whether that be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I don't think we're on TikTok as yet, but we'll be having a look at that. That's the new one, I'm, I'm told. We'll be having a look at that in some time in the future. So thank you all. And until LawPod episode 22, goodbye for now. Bye.